Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Dawn Porter, and welcome to So Lucky, where each week I go deep with my guest and explore all of the sides to all of their stories, the highs and lows, their hopes and fears, their lucky and their unlucky moments. My guest this week is Clara Francis, an actress and designer and, full disclosure, a dear friend of mine. I want to give you the heads up about this episode because we talk about something really upsetting. Um, In fact, we talk about every parent's worst nightmare, the death of a child. I'm so moved by Clara's openness in this conversation. It's unlike anything else in this series and it is hard to listen to, but it's really worth it. I wanted Clara to be a guest on this podcast because her story about losing her daughter Maud is devastating but the way that her and her husband Jason have got through it is very inspiring. I actually based the character of Ruby in my novel on Clara and over the course of getting to know her, researching that character, I fell in love with her so deeply and she's a bit of a curveball guest for me on this podcast but I really really wanted to talk to her and I wanted to share her story so strap in because this is a big one. This is me, Dorno Porter, talking to the wonderful Clara Francis. Well, here we are in a little booth, yeah. being all like podcasty. Yeah. Um, Clara, I really wanted you on my podcast for so many reasons. Tell me why. Well, first <laughs> is that, I mean, obviously this is the So Lucky podcast and I kind of based a character on you which I'm so proud of you were my first all of my books have always been like a kind of version of me somehow and you were my first like fully researched this is I met someone who became the person I want to be really clear a nice version yes a nice version I want to be clear you're not Ruby you're absolutely (laughs) not Ruby but the the story that you told me at a mutual friend Alex's um, Hendu is what kind of inspired her condition so I was at a Hendu and got chatting to Clara and Clara started telling me and you're so open about this is what I love about you and no one else is which is why I had to get you on Mm -hmm. you started telling me about your um, body hair (laughs) that you had battled with for most of your life I have I uh, just excess body hair has been the bane of my life and uh, until uh, about five years ago and so what did you do so when I got married my husband said to me, "What? I'm going to get you a gift for our wedding day. Right. I'm going to get you a piece of jewellery. What, what would you like? A ring. a ring. He likes to buy me rings. And I went, I don't want a ring. I want full body laser hair. Right. That is what I want for my wedding the present. lovely romantic sexy present. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever done in my whole life. Yeah. Because being a really hairy person, and I'm not just talking about like a little bit hairy, mm-hmm. I mean, really hairy hair that grows everywhere. Um, I it, it's it's really difficult. I mean, you have to. You can't just go swimming. Right. Th- things like that. I mean, I know it sounds like nothing. No, it's not nothing. It, it doesn't sound like much, but you can't just you know impromptu say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to go to the ponds today with my friends," because it's like, "Oh, but I'm mid cycle, so I can't really show my legs or my bikini line in public because it's really." It was really, really bad. Yeah. And, and and I always thought that I had a curse put on me. Did I tell you this at the Hendu? No. <laughs> when I was a little girl, my mum took me to the ponds on Hampstead Heath and there was a woman there and she was really old, uh, elderly, and she sort of looked like a witch and she had pubic hair like down to her knees and I was with my friend and I took the piss out of her oh. and I laughed at her. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why. And I think I was cursed. <sighs> God. Yes, because it happened to me. It happened to How me. How old were you when it started? So probably, yeah, 12. Ah, yeah, now this is also interesting. I was sort of had had hair on my armpits before every... I was in primary school because there was a girl um, called Lucy in my primary school who 
she said, oh, Clara, um, we were at swimming. Mm-hmm. Clara, show everyone how good you are at diving. And, and I, you know, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, she's showing me attention. Right. So I got up and I put my arms in the air and she started laughing at me oh, because Clara. I had I had hair under my arms. So I was obviously an early developer. Yeah. And then I I really remember noticing it in sort of the beginning of secondary school. And uh, I used to have dreams about about the hairs on the top of my legs which uh-huh. my mum had said don't ever shave them don't don't shave them because they'll it'll grow back thicker yeah. but of course you do um and and I would have dreams about sort of shaving it off but it growing back but it, it wasn't hair it was like it was like trees I can't really explain right, it. Okay, it so like, this is, it kind of came back as like thick stumps. It was thick stumps oh, of like right. bulk. Yeah, and this is you leg. as a teenager. This was probably about 12, 13. Right. And then I have uh, memories of walking around my garden in the summer with Jolyn. Do you remember? Yes, yeah, so I used I, it I mean, on my upper lip. Well, obviously, we all did. Um, and it went a nice sort of yellowy hue, Yeah, did it not? I, I would Jolyn the hairs on my legs because thinking well maybe I don't shave it and I'll just but then I sort of had like yellowy green legs right yellowy green hairy legs so it sort of took a while and then I kind of started having it waxed when I could afford to have my legs waxed but then you go into a cycle of well I have to let the hair grow before so you'd you'd have sort of a heat wave and I'd be wearing over the knee socks right on the hottest day of the year and it's not it it's it sort of sounds like real vanity, but if I took the socks off, I looked like a 1970s footballer. It right. wasn't like a little bit of hair. It was like extremely thick hair. Yeah. Extremely thick, like a bloke. Right. Like a very, very hairy bloke. God. Yeah. And that was you, like, from teenage all through your 20s? All through my 20s and my early 30s. No, no, actually, it was I was 40. I was 40 when I had them lasered. So pretty much my whole adult life. And how does that affect you as a person? Because obviously, in in um, just to keep reinstating the fact that Ruby was inspired by you, but mm-hmm. is not you as a no. person. So anyone who's read the book and thinks that I'm talking to real life Ruby, no, that's, no. that's no, not the I'm case. Really nice. And she's lovely, Clara. She's, um, <laughs> no. Although I took your fashion because the high neck dresses yeah, and the yeah. things. Yeah, Clara wears yeah. the most amazing dresses that you make yourself. And you... You've just started a company. I have. Oh, right. Pioneers. Let's plug that yeah, for a second and make sure it. that we do. So follow them on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. We've, um, we, well, I started making clothes about a year ago with my, my amazing sewing teacher, Chris Winter, just going to her house, watching her work, just driving her mad, yeah. saying this is what I want to make. And then she helped me make patterns because I could never find things that I really loved. Yes. So I found my perfect dress and now I'm sharing it with the world well and this is this I stole that as well, well, well because yeah, that's because, a movie that's, I just love exactly. that so much like yeah. if more women like found their perfect dress yeah. and like based their entire style on it yeah. we'd all be dressing so happily I know well now I mean I, I am so happy and also I don't have to go into shops anymore and alter stuff or yeah. shit fabrics I can buy my perfect fabric and make my perfect dress and I can alter it alter sleeves I mean it's just it's, it's so liberating I recommend everyone learn how to sew yeah it's incredible I know it's a skill, a skill. That, it's a skill that we just kind of uh, we tried to get out of oh. for so long and now I'd love to be able to sew well, I don't, but it's not that hard no it's not that hard because everything I make is really simple I don't go I don't go for anything fancy yeah so I mean you I mean it's an incredible skill but you can do it on a pretty basic level yeah. which is what I do yeah so, I love yeah. the one you've got on today. Thank so you. So lovely ruched sleeves and star print. It's so cute. I'm totally going to get one. Um, so I, right, where was I before I was talking about your hairiness? Right, hairiness, hairiness, hairiness. So, um, so you kind of developed a style that did that. So right. So you 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 had this issue in your life up until you were 40. Now, what I find really fascinating about you is, unlike Ruby again, you didn't hide away. You were an actress. So what talked talk me through that. Um, that, you know, in a monologue of I've got this physical condition that makes me feel gross, yet I want to put myself out there to the world. Yeah. Uh, well, oh God. I, I mean, I was an actress, then I wasn't an actress, now I'm an actress again. And I stopped being an actress sort of because I have had, because I weirdly have more self-esteem now than I ever had, very low self-esteem. And I think when you have... Because along with the hairiness came the spottiness oh right as well 
and I had really bad skin. And it was all because I had polycystic ovaries, but I didn't know I had polycystic ovaries. Uh, I just thought I was a hairy, spotty, deeply unattractive human being. Um, And so I would offer the hairiness I could cover up. Mm -hmm. You can sort of cover up. And I never... I had to do one sex scene once, but I can't remember how I wangled my way around it. It could have been sort of at the right time in my cycle. If it hadn't have been, I probably would have just shaved <laughs> right. because it would have been too awful not to. But having really bad skin when you're an actress, when I was young, when I was younger, was or it was awful because I, you know, my agent, my first agent would say to me, you, you, you know, your skin's really bad. You've got to sort right. it out. And I, I mean, you know, it was always like the elephant in the room. And uh, she took me to a dermatologist because it, you know, I wouldn't get work because of it. Because if they can cast an actress who's got perfect skin, mm-hmm. and I remember, and then it came to the point where I remember another, my other agent afterwards saying to me, "God, the director just said you didn't want the job. He just, he just thought you didn't want the job." And I remember that audition, and I remember thinking, "I'm so hideous and spotty oh. and awful. I couldn't make eye contact with him." I remember being in the room. Um, and then I went to the doctor and the doctor, the dermatologist said to me, I remember, said, you're going to be like this until you have children and then your hormones will sort themselves out. Right. And that really did happen. Did it? Yeah, I mean, it did. And also, I, I, I think I started having microdermabrasion. God, I didn't know I'd go down this road talking about this. This is great. I, I didn't know that. I, but I had microdermabrasion and it really helped me. It really helped my skin. And it is amazing how unconfident I felt when my skin was bad. I bet. It is, it, again, it sounds really vain. and But I think if you are an actor and you're putting yourself out there and you've got a camera right up in your face, it's pretty mortifying. Yeah, but for anybody also, I think it's I think it's perfectly okay to be like, to have something like that going on and admit to how that kind of debilitates your character a bit and yeah. makes you feel really self-conscious. Oh, it was awful. I remember doing a commercial in Madrid and... Um, just having a really terrible breakout. It was for a Renault Clio commercial and just thinking, oh my God, I've got to get up at five and they're just going to, they're going, because they would say it out loud. Yeah. They'd say, oh my God, your skin's really bad. Or what, you know, and they, they'd sort of make out that it, you know, it was, it was so awful that how are they going to cover it up? And of course they did. And so I remember getting up really early and covering my spots myself mm. and then, then get, getting there and then going, why have you done that? I mean, just, just humiliating. Yeah. So uh, one good thing about getting old is I don't actually get really bad spots anymore. That's great. Yeah. And I am no longer as hairy as I used to be. So did the lasering just work? The lasering worked. I mean, I'm still like, I'm now would say I'm hairy like a normal person. Okay. And, you know, I'm just a normal human being now. I'm not a person with excess body hair. Because I also have my beard. Yeah, I facial hair as well. We haven't even discussed this. So facial hair, I did, I've done a couple of times. Um, Yeah, because... You know, you sort of, and when you have your facial hair done, you have to grow it. Yeah. Oh God, that's the you have part. to grow it because when you go to the salon, they need to shave it off yeah. to know where to laser. And so I, I grew it, and I sort of went into hiding and wore Polonex. And then oh, on my God. way, on my way to the clinic, and I, I was living in. Kentish Town at the time and I went to a clinic in Spitalfields and I stopped off in Islington and I bumped into an ex-boyfriend you know and I had why I don't know and I I just I don't know and I was I mean it was so awful and I sort of pulled my polar neck up so so it was kind of under my nose oh my god yeah so anyway all the times of course of course you're going to bump into an old boyfriend (laughs) when you've got a full like beard (laughs) of course you are so um so that was the first I did that I did that in probably in my early 30s and so I didn't have facial hair so I got rid of that and actually that made my skin better oh god awful I'd I'd get up early and have to pluck yeah that's what I would do I'd get up early but this is a time when you're kind of going out and you're meeting people and you're going back with men and I'd wake up in the morning thinking have I got a beard or how bad is my skin oh it was it was awful and so how was it when you met your love and when you dealt with all of that I didn't even tell him I I don't think I told him I I was really secretive I really was so mortified Mm. by the whole thing I would get up early 
and do the old plucking. Right. Do a sort of 30-minute pluck in the toilet, in the loo, and uh, come in with a sort of red speckled face. God. Because rather that than him see my beard. Well, so there must have been a point there because another thing that I stole from your life in the book was um, because Jason made a joke about it in his wedding speech. (laughs) And uh, you seem to be absolutely fine fine with that. But I, you know, it was it was cataclysmic for Ruby. Yeah, yeah. Um, But like, that's a bold move for a husband. Yeah, but I can laugh at myself. Yes, you can. I mean, I think it's really important to be able to laugh at yourself. I mean, it, it, because if it really, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been through quite a lot of shit in my yes. life. And uh, and even at, at my darkest, on the darkest day of my life, I still managed to find something to laugh about. And I just think, God, you've just got to be able to laugh. So when, yeah, when I got married... It was all to do with him saying to me, mm-hmm. I'm going to buy you a ring. And me saying, no, 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 no. I want to put yeah. the money towards. So he he said in, in my wedding speech, because I love dogs. Right. It's the other thing. I, I love, love dogs. And uh, and he, he has always said that he thinks I'm sort of half human, half dog. And my hairiness is a part of that. So the, his wedding speech was pretty much just about how I'm half dog. <laughs> and um, And I just thought it was hilarious. It, and it was a really hilarious speech. Yeah. It was brilliant. Okay, good. And I love it. And I've printed it out and sometimes I look at it and it still makes me laugh. That's so yeah. wonderful. Um, so sorry to do this, but I do. can mm-hmm. we go to that darkest it's day fine. of your Let's life? It's fine. Let's go there. Um, I'm going to let you say it in your own words because I wouldn't want to. Okay. Well, I... Um, uh, Unless you want me to say it. Oh, you say it. Okay. <laughs> you um, say it. So Clara and Jason lost a two-year-old... Your daughter, Maud. Yeah. I mean, I can't actually talk about it without crying, oh, so I don't know how the fuck you do it. I can talk about it. Okay, well, yeah. you're amazing. And, um, like, it's obviously every parent's worst nightmare. And so on that day, you say you still managed to find a laugh. Well, I I mean, I, I did... It was... It, I wouldn't say I was rollicking around yeah. laughing, laughing, but I sort of had... I, one of my girlfriends, Rebecca, at the time was looking for a man and I had sort of made it my life's ambition to to find her somebody and 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 the so the policeman had come in when my daughter died and it was too awful but I kind of was looking at this policeman thinking oh oh he might do for best <laughs> oh, your brain's just doing all these I could, different I things I was like oh yeah I'll ask him if he's single and then I was like what the fuck <sighs> fuck so, I mean, I wouldn't say it was like I was laughing hilarious, yeah. you know, but, but you know, and then in the days after, I mean, so so I'll just say a little bit about what happened with Maud. So she, uh, she was two and a half and um, she had the flu mm-hmm. and it was around Christmas time and Jason and I, you know, didn't think anything of it because we weren't neurotic, weren't, are now, right. weren't then and she couldn't shake off this flu and um, it got I'm I'm cutting a very long story short Mm -hmm. it got progressively worse and then sort of the New Year's the day before New Year's Eve she was having problems breathing Um, and so I took her to A&E and they sort of fobbed me off um, and said oh it's it's fine it's croup and I had had croup a lot as a kid. I mm-hmm. always remember my mum saying, so I was like, oh, right, okay. Because my instinct was it was really bad. Um, but, you know, you're sort of... I was so happy when they told me that it was yeah. something that's pretty minor. I was like, fine. They gave us some steroids. We went home. And then the next day was New Year's Eve. And it was worse. And she was really struggling to breathe. And then she she stopped breathing. And we ran in the car. We drove down to UCH to the A&E and again they said it's fine it's fine it's 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 the croup it's fine um and they gave us some more steroids and they told us to go home and again I was like oh this is great um because my instinct is there's something seriously wrong Mm -hmm. here but um uh, I should have gone with my instinct I know that now this is the biggest regret of my life um, but you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, and of course, you believe what well, you want to believe what a doctor tells of you. Of course, you do. And and until 
you're sort of hit by tragedy. I just think you do. And well, maybe some people don't. And I have met people that have told me that they've stood in A&E and they've screamed and shout until they got what they wanted. But I'm just not that sort of person. I wasn't that sort of person. I don't know how I'd be now. Uh-huh. And I think, God, I wish I was that sort of person that that won't take no for an answer. But I, it didn't even occur to of me. It just didn't. I was delighted that it wasn't as serious as I thought. And then, so it was New Year's Eve. We were due to go out. We thought, oh, we better stay in because she's really not very well. And then um, we, and then in, and then on New, so it was New Year's Day, two thousand and eleven. And our other daughter, Bessie, came in our room. And said, I can't wake up Maud. I can't wake her up because they shared a room. And I just knew. I just knew. I just, I knew. And um, and then everything, you know, then your world is, you know, my life it was sort of changed forever. Yeah. And is very much divided into two parts, before and after. And that moment was the after. Um, and it is the worst thing it's the worst thing it's the worst thing I mean I can't even describe how awful it is because it's so unspeakably awful Mm -hmm. there aren't words it's the actual I mean it's I think any human would agree that it's the literal worst thing that could happen yeah because I was I I I mean I I was like just just kill me I mean Mm. you sort of think give me anything make me blind give me cancer cut my legs off, just do anything to me, but just give me my little girl back. Just don't do that. Just don't do it. But of course, you're bargaining with the world and it's already happened. And so, yeah, it's um, for any parent. It It is just, it's unspeakable. So I sort of feel that I've, you know, Jason and I have, well, this was eight years ago, nearly nine and we've just sort of been rebuilding our our lives and doing a lot of campaigning because uh-huh. um, actually Maud died of sepsis and it was undiagnosed at the hospital. They didn't do anything wrong. There was just no protocol for right. for detecting it at the time. There is now. We at Sepsis UK Trust have done a lot, a lot of work to try and kind of spread the word and things are changing in mm-hmm. hospitals because it's it, sepsis is it's a secondary illness so it's not you, you will you will be, have something else so she had the flu and then she got the sepsis right. and it's really difficult to detect um what is sepsis it's it's people think it's blood poisoning like septicemia but it isn't so sepsis is when you have an illness and your body Goes your body goes into overdrive. All your organs go into overdrive to try and fight the illness. But actually what happens is your organs start fighting each other. Right. And essentially it kills you. Okay. Um, and you can test for it, but they just didn't. Um, but they're really on it now. Certain hospitals are really on it. You know UCH, where we've taken her, they're really, really on it now. Okay. Um, so to know that your child died and she didn't have to die is a double blow um but i think i'm pretty practical Mm -hmm. and i made a choice that i was going to you know not kill myself and that i was which i wanted to do Mm But I had another little girl, had my daughter, and I was like, I can't do that to her. I can't do it to my mother. Um, I have to carry on and live a good life. And that's what I've tried to do. And not be bitter and angry at the world and the situation and the doctors that, you know, because I kind of think, well, they're humans. And people make mistakes and I'm pretty sure they feel fucking awful about it. Um, So, but it really was a choice because I remember in the early days thinking I could go out and I could get pissed and I could take loads of drugs and I could just, you know, really fuck myself up. Mm -hmm. And that would be the easy thing to do. But I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to, and I'm going to try and gonna try and make something good of this yeah 
which I kind of hope I have. Uh, we, ca- we had another child, Jason and I. That was really important to me. And how was that experience? It was bloody awful. Right. <laughs> it was fucking awful because I, I got pregnant really soon after. Uh-huh. So I was pregnant and grieving right. and not on any sort of antidepressant, um, which I think would have helped. Right. You know, I think, um, I, I mean... I think grief is very different from depression. And, I, 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 you know, I'm not saying everybody who's gr- grieving should go on antidepressants. Uh-huh. But for me, I had on and off been on antidepressants my my adult life. Right. So to not be on them at the, the, the darkest time of my life was really difficult. Um, and, and, and they'd said to me, you, you can take them, but there is a risk of harming the baby. And I was like, do you know what? I don't yeah. want to do that. So I'm just not. So I... I was pregnant with Gilbert and just sort of going cold turkey grief and with sort of raging pregnancy hormones and also the fear that something was going to happen because, you know, I was sort of plummeted into a world where terrible things happened to me. Being a person, and I was a person that I was not neurotic. I was like, nothing bad's going to ever happen to me. Why would it? Why do I think I'm so special? Um... But it did. And I think once something like that happens to you, the door is open and you can't close that door. The door of sort of tragedy. And, you know, you will jump to the worst case scenario, which is what I do. Less so now, eight years on. But certainly then. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. So did you really have to watch yourself with the other two kids that you didn't become overprotective yeah. and allow them to live life? Yeah, yeah. But I still, I don't think I'm very good at it. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I feel that since becoming a parent, my anxiety is it's just something that is a daily mission to try and control. My, well, I, I had a tragedy when I was yeah. younger than my yeah, mum yeah. died. So yeah. I, I, that, you, I really relate to that thing. Once that worst thing has happened, which is kind of in reverse mm, to what happened mm, to you mm. at that age for me, you are not, you're not really, um, you can't really, you, you expect it to happen. Mm. So for me, like when I became a mum, that kind of new mum anxiety is very real. And I'm like, well, the worst thing can happen. Yeah. And it yeah. does happen. Yeah, yeah. So... So it was like a trigger for you. Yes. Having kids was a total trigger. Kind of. Yeah. And actually, do you know what? I'm getting asked all the time at the moment how losing my mum affected me. It affects me as having a mum. And I'm always like, to be honest, I don't really think about my mum dying. I don't miss her anymore. It's mm. like, it's very different. But yes, that's absolutely something. I am aware that the worst thing can happen. Mm. So, but mums have that anyway. Different to our experiences. Mm. That's Chris has that. And he's never really yeah, yeah, lost yeah. a parent or anything like that. And so um, I think to put on you know, something as tragic as what happened to Maud on top of that anxiety that you already have as a parent is something that just must take constant management. I'm definitely better now than I was initially. Um, I mean, when Gilbert was born, I, I thought he was going to die. I mean, I I, 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 I I would say for the first two years, I would have to take a deep breath every time I went into his room because I thought I would find him dead. Every single morning, I would have to take a deep breath. And even now, um, because he's, we were, as we were discussing before we went out, we were talking mm. about the fact he doesn't sleep very much. He's, he's a really early riser, so he's usually up about half past five. If, he's, if he sleeps in, my brain immediately goes to... Uh, this, so this is how it works. Oh, I can't hear Gilbert upstairs because I usually hear him crashing around. He's probably dead. Okay, okay, how am I going to handle this? I Okay, I can't go through that again. So I'm going to go upstairs and I'm just going to get a knife and I'm just going to kill myself. Right. And then I hear him and I go, oh, it's okay. 
so 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 there it's it's sort of I spiral. It's certainly not as bad, but I will go to that place. Yeah, but you do. Um, I know. I know. Lo- I've met you know lots of other bereaved people now. I go to an incredible bereavement group called Slow, um, surviving the loss of your world, which is a group set up by two bereaved mums, mm-hmm. and it's it's run by bereaved people. Right. So you know, there's no sort of therapist who who've learned how to no. be, talk to. Be, it's it's really an incredible sort of setup. So um, I'm sort of surrounded by people that love, have lost children now, and some people really don't have it. They really don't. But I think it's dependent on how your child has died. Yeah. I think I think, um, and well, everybody's different. I think if your child's had a long illness and it's an expected death. You probably don't have it. Friends don't have that as much that right. I'm going to walk in the room and my child's going to be dead. Okay. But they have a completely different set of well, they had a chance. triggers. They had a chance to accept the situation, I suppose. They, yeah. You get an opportunity to prepare. I don't know. Fuck knows. What do I know? But I just can... There's no good scenario no. on this. But you... No. You know, you, the shock of what happened to you. That I mean, Art had flu last year for seven days with fever at 104. And uh, to think that 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 could just turn into something. Yeah, it could I know. be any of us any time. Yeah. And it's so, you don't, but you don't, you don't think that, of course. And if a doctor tells you he'll be fine in a couple of days, just give him lots of fluids and that's what you do. And you yeah, think yeah. everything's going to be fine. So the shock of it and the feeling of could we done something and all of that. But when there's, I guess when there's a long illness, then you've got the opportunity to, you know there's nothing you can do. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think the that. grieving process is any different. I don't think you feel the grief no, any less. Yes. Um, but you it's you have a different set of I was talking to a friend on Sunday who lost her son and um, and it was an expected death. And we were talking about this and you know, this sort of notion that somehow it's easier to manage if you know that your child is going to die but it kind of isn't it's just a very different it's just a different it's scenario. a different different yeah. thing what's better i mean we were talking about it in context of what is better to know your child is going to die and have that time to 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 say goodbye to prepare or to or to not know your child's going to die and have the shock because actually the trauma that you go through yeah. while your child is dying is seeing it's that. really, yeah, I'm sure. really difficult. I mean, it's so it's it's they're two totally different hideous, hideous things. It's I mean, like who I, I don't want either. Thank you no, very much. I'd rather no child died. Um, I had that I had that conversation. I think it was yesterday where I, was, um, I said I think maybe I was lucky that I was six when my mum died because. I didn't have to lose someone mm. that I'd loved all mm, my life. Mm, mm. And when friends lose their mums now and they think I have a clue what they're going through, I'm like, I've got no idea. It yeah, sounds so yeah, awful. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got all of that to come. You know, my dad, my auntie raised yeah. me, my sister, or you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, maybe I got away with that. But do you not feel now that you have children of your own and you, you, that you sort of see what you missed out on with your mum? So much. That's yeah, the pain for yes, you. Yeah, but it's also the... mostly Clara. I'm, I'm. She was 36 when mm. she died. I, my sadness now is her. Mm. It's nothing. Mm. My life was fine. Mm. Everything. Look at me. I'm living a great life. Mm. So to think, it's part of my story and it's who I am. She was a 36 year old mother of two young girls dying not with her husband mm. not really knowing what was going to happen and like all the sadness is there and but but you know like, but like I said just to kind of go back onto your point is that you find yourself going well was, was that better yeah I know exactly and it, what a stupid conversation it's all shit it's all, shit. Yeah, it's all, it's all absolutely shit. horrible but how was was your grandmother your mum's mum alive yes she right, was so is she still alive no she's not she was how um, did she deal with oh terribly her? I mean, like, and they, you, you know they weren't, they weren't a hugely emotional couple okay. anyway my um, were they Scottish no they were in my dad's Scottish oh, my okay. mum's side of the family so we were in Guernsey with her side oh, of the family right. when okay. she died and um, and yeah I mean god so I did mean, you go and live with your mother's mother. So when my mum and dad got divorced, I was one in Scotland. My mum left him with my sister and I went down to Guernsey, moved in with her parents. So I lived with my grandparents and when she died, we carried on living with them for another three years and then when I was 10, moved in with my aunt and uncle. So you lived with a, 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 a grieving... Yes, we lived right, We that, lived okay. in a sad house okay. and after okay. she died, her, the bed, the room that she died in became my bedroom. Oh my like God. it's Yeah, it's all, you look back on it and oh you're like, God. Jesus Christ, oh it's, so, it's all so... so 
so sad. Okay. You know, it's like, it's just so sad. Yeah. And, but I find myself, like I said, as an adult thinking, well, at least I don't have to deal with losing mm. my mum mm. again. Mm. Again, you know, yeah, so doing yeah, it's that. Done, it's like, done it, yes, done it. And I didn't have to like have a lifetime of having this person. And well, then, yeah, until, my, until Maud died, <clears throat> my greatest fear really well obviously losing a child but I didn't think that would happen to me so that was not even on the agenda was losing my mother yeah it was like what am I going to do when my mum dies right what am I going to do um but 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 now Maud has died I sort of think I'm prepared hey yeah you do cloud you definitely have it now it's put something into your soul yeah that prepares you for the worst case scenario and what the constant management is making sure that that doesn't um, bring down the quality of your life and that you can still be a good mum and, a, you know, a, just happy, basically. And that's the daily challenge, isn't yes, it? Knowing that the challenge. worst can happen. Yeah, But is- also, I mean, I don't know, I feel weirdly... And Jason, Jason, I'm not sure he feels the same as me. He thinks I'm a simpleton. Um, I feel really very much more... much... I don't want to say blessed. I don't really like that word. I'm going to ask you this question yeah. because this is what the podcast is about. Yeah, yeah. And it was. It feels like after all of those things that you've just said about yourself. And by the way, just because most people won't know know you listening to this, um, your energy as a person is infectious. Oh, I, when I met you, you, I was. It was like I have to have that person in my life. Oh, and every you. time I talk to you. Your honesty, your openness. Um, but aside from the things that have happened in your life, you're you're just your sense of humour and your approach to so many things, I personally fucking adore. Oh, well, I feel um, the same, so, so this seems like a strange question to ask mm. someone who's just you know, said such tragedy has existed in your life, but would you consider yourself a lucky person yeah. and how does luck play in your life? Well, it's funny you should say that because <laughs> I, fi- I consider myself a deeply unlucky person and an incredibly lucky person. Um... And I feel, I really, really wish that Maud hadn't died. Mm -hmm. I really, really wish she hadn't, but she has. And there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm going to take what I can from that. And what she has taught me is that life is really precious. And I know it's really glib and obvious, but I really didn't know it before. Mm -hmm. I really, really didn't because when um, Bessie and Maud were young, there was only 16 months between them and I was really like, oh God, this is so hard. It was so difficult. I was trying to work. I was juggling everything. I was getting really cross with them. I, you know, I don't want to paint myself as an awful mother because I wasn't. No, you're, but just, it was you're just, just very, basically describing very, my life. Very, so very please. stressful. Yes. And I was like, oh, God, I needed the childcare to arrive so I could go and make some phone calls and write some emails. And, and then Maud died. And I was like, what the fuck was that? Why didn't I appreciate every single second that I had her? Why didn't I? And and now she's gone. And then I I was incredibly lucky. And I really do mean lucky to be able to have another child because mm-hmm. I I have many friends who've lost older children and they weren't able to have another child. And I think being in a position to have another child after you've lost a child is so healing. It certainly was for me. Um, So I'm very lucky that I had another child, my son Gilbert, Um, and that I just... The, it's precious it's so precious mm-hmm. and I didn't know it before and don't get me wrong I I really scream and yell at yeah. my children and they really get on my tits um, and I'm not uh, you know every I'm really cross a lot of the time and angry especially as now I'm like you know perimenopausal um, but I have a real newfound sense of God it's incredible this life is incredible and little moments that would have entirely passed me by before and I mean little little moments because as you know you know those moments so because because parenting is so hard and mm. exhausting and you know and and so if you do have a moment where you're like oh my god we're all sitting down for dinner and nobody's moaning about the food I've created mm-hmm. and we're having a laugh and everyone's being nice to each other I just they're magic yeah. to me it's just magic 
And they're the moments that I, I didn't even see them before, but I see them now. So I think I'm incredibly lucky to um, have ha been able to have another child. And I'm incredibly lucky to have my daughter, Bessie, who is an amazing, amazing child. Mm -hmm. She's nearly 13. She's had to grow up with a very sad, sad mum mm -hmm. and dad at times. And she's had to navigate her way through grief. Um, and she's got a sense of humour. She's funny, which, let's face it, is, I think, the most important thing in life. Yeah. You've just got to have a sense of humour about things. Um, and we live uh, a really good life. We're lucky. Jason, my husband's an actor and he works a lot. So we don't, you know, we don't have to worry. You know, we're not rich, but we don't have to yeah. worry about where the next penny's coming from, which I'm really lucky. Oh, that's lucky. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I'm very lucky and very unlucky mm -hmm. in, in that the most terrible thing happened to me. But I've tried to to make of it, make of a really horrendous situation something something good yeah um and that's trying to live a good life um which i hope i'm doing i'm just really worried that bessie is going to turn around and you know in 10 years and go you were awful <sighs> you were sad all the time and you know i just i really hope she doesn't do that is it an open conversation in your house <sighs> we talk about maud a lot a lot um Bessie, she she doesn't want to talk about it so much. She started secondary school. You know, I think she's very much, she does not want to be defined yeah. as the kid whose sister died, which I think she might have felt in her primary school um, because she was. Yeah. Um, and I think she's like, you know what? This is, this is I'm going to take control of this. Yeah. So, um if she brings it up, I will. We will always talk about it, but um, I won't bring it up unless she wants to. I think that's really typical of um, a teenage. I, I was the same. You when you experience a tragedy young, you bank it, mm. and it it's you kind of revisit it. Like for me, it was late twenties where you're just like, oh, here it is again. What's happening? Mm. And it's and usually it's I'd say it's quite a relief to revisit but that what she's doing is completely normal isn't it she just wants to be a normal teenage girl I know I know I'm glad you say that because when she when at first when she sort of said I don't want because she came back from school she was like I've got to write a poem for English and I was like well you need to write something you know about what about writing about you know losing your sister and which is something you know is really profound for you and she was like no no right I don't want to do that and I was like okay and I felt sort of hurt and sort of that Maud was being forgotten. But of course she's not. No. It's just Bessie has to find a way, her own way uh -huh. of of dealing with it. And I have to find a way of just understanding that that is her way of doing it. Because yeah. she's finding her way through life now. And know. how is it telling, like, because this is a story you have to tell Gilbert. Like, what mm. what's that been like? Well, that's been quite interesting because she's very present in our house, Maud, um, you know, and I, I, I think you know, he's he will say. In fact, apropos nothing, I don't know where he got this from. He sort of blurted out not very long ago. Oh well, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm the replacement child. Oh, I was like, wow. what? What? Well, I am. I mean, I'm the replacement child. Uh, I, I just, I do. He's seven, and I do not know where he got that from because I'm. 100% certain we would never have said anything yeah. of the sort to him. But he's, I think he's just worked it out. Right. I think he's just worked it out. And so now, of course, he smart. is the replacement child, but he's so much more than yeah. a replacement child because Gilbert, for me, you know, I would never have had three children. Yeah. I was so delighted with, with my two girls and I was so delighted I didn't have to go through childbirth again and have another pregnancy. I was like, oh my God, I've done it. This is great. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as Maud died, I was really a very sort of primal kind of, I've got to have another baby. Mm. This is this is what I have do to do. Do you mind do. me asking how old you were? Uh, 39. Okay. Yeah, 39. So I was... 
Was I 39? Yeah, I was 39 when, when Maud died. So also, I didn't sort of, and everyone was like, you need to grieve, you need to. And I was like, fuck off. I yeah. haven't got the luxury of grieving yeah. here. I've got a body clock. Yeah. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm deranged. And I have to have a baby now. You know, I have to. So there was no sort of, there was no time to kind of, yeah, I'll take a year or two to grieve and then I'll think about. No, it was like, I need to have a baby yeah. now. I need to be pregnant now. Right. Um, what was I talking about? <laughs> I can't remember. It was something to do with um, it was something to do with Gilbert and uh, being pregnant. And we lost it. We lost it. Totally lost. Let's it. see if totally it comes back. It. I want yeah, to just yeah. touch it because we haven't got yeah, long left. And yeah, I just yeah. um, you just climbed a mountain. I did Tell three mountains. Three mountains. Um, yeah. So this was for Child Bereavement UK, another incredible charity uh-huh. that we do quite a lot of work for. Jason and I. Um, they are rather different to to slow. They Child Bereavement UK. This is your charity, Dawn, uh-huh. because they help children that have lost parents, yeah, uh, particularly, and parents who have lost children. In fact, anybody that has been touched by the death of a child, right? Um, they help. I- incredible charity, and uh, they asked me to do uh, a three peat challenge. And I am lazy, lazy, lazy. So I was like, I don't think I want to do that. And then I heard that it was like three, no, five days away in a chalet, in a luxury chalet in Switzerland, France and Germany. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll do that because I get to go away for a few days. And so I went with my friend Susie and a brilliant group of women who I didn't know before, but now we're lifelong friends and just had such a brilliant time. God, yeah, well done. proper training. Did I did proper training? Yeah. Had a really tight ass for about a month. It's all gone to shit now. <laughs> but I, I mean, who knew that climbing up hills was the best thing yeah. for your body? It's I mean, I, that's why everyone in LA hikes. I, do, yeah. I didn't know this. We've all got amazing buns. Oh my god, my ass was amazing. It's shit now. It's gone back to <laughs> it does jelly. It fades pretty quickly, doesn't oh it? Oh god, I need to get um. I need to get one of those stairmasters yeah, in yeah, my yeah. house because I don't belong to a gym or anything. Like that. I just all I do exercise wise is walk the dog. So I literally I'm just going up and down Parliament Hill on Hampstead yeah. Heath. Oh, that's good. That's all I did. That was my training. Yeah, up and down Parliament Hill for about an hour a day, and my ass. Oh my god, was amazing. God, it's like, it's it was so like good. my twenty-year-old self. I know it's when you kind of go through one of those stages of doing lots of exercise. You're like, oh, I could look like this all the time. Are you still doing your bike? God, I mean, I've got it. It's currently a clothes source, but uh, I will get it back. And what I love about having it is, I genuinely will get it back. I've just okay. we had Chris's fortieth and just loads a really indulgent month or two, and um, and yeah, I can't. And I had a like a massive deadline where I just wasn't. I was working like twelve-hour days, so just kind of yeah. When I get back, I'm looking forward to getting back on it. See, I, I've got um. I'm here on my own, so Chris and the boys are in in LA, and uh, I'm getting that kind of. I've got that weird feeling of you thought when you were going to get that trip. I was like, I was really excited, and then as soon as I got here, I'm like, mm. and then I have moments being this is great because I can have jet lag without worrying about them, yeah, and then yeah. uh, and then just kind of oh god, I'm just so worried about them all the time. There's the LA fires happening, and there's the, the air is full of smoke, and it's just like oh my god, is everything everything okay? Anyway, do you wish weird, you were there? Kind of, and yeah, kind of. Um, I miss them loads. Ten days is a long time for me to be away, and but I'm trying also to um, to enjoy it mm. because I don't do this very often. Mm. So it's just you know it's that weird feeling. Do you speak to them every day? Um, it's, the time difference is really hard, and so I'm kind of you know on a on a radio show or something, and then they're suddenly at school, so we send lots of videos backwards and forwards. Okay. But I'm um, yeah I'm missing them like crazy. So um, okay, so we're going to wrap it up. I ask everyone: Is there anyone? Life, who you look at and think, God, you're so lucky. Oh, Christ. Why didn't you pre-warn me? I quite like... Give me some options. Well, I personally find it a really odd question, which is why I like asking people. Because I don't know if there's anyone whose life I look at and think, God, am I looking at, like, Jennifer Aniston and thinking, you'll say, I don't want to be her, so no, it's not someone like that. Am I looking at... um, I've got some friends back in Guernsey who just have a really nice life with like good jobs and nice yeah. house. And they go to the beach everywhere. Maybe that's really lucky. Maybe that's it. I don't know what the answer is. I just think it's I, like... Do you know what? I suppose the answer is I really don't think I look at people and feel that right. sort of sense of, oh, I really wish I had their life. I mean, I'd sort of quite like to live in the sun by the sea. 
that yeah, sort of that sounds heavy. I kind of have like little fantasies about where I would prefer to be. Yeah, sometimes, um, but I don't. I don't. Uh, I. And point being that no one no, is really lucky because course. I've got friends who live that life, and half the time they're missing everybody. So it's like exactly. We're you're, all, you're not with your kids because you're. I suppose the thing is, I my dream was always to be a really. You know, I wanted to to be this sort of you know, really well-respected actress and, you know, and, and I do still do a bit of acting mm. and I take it or leave it and and I love that I can do that now. So I suppose I would look at actresses that work the whole time. Yeah, this this is a good right. This is okay, a good answer. Go. I would look at, we've got that. I would look at actresses and go, what a career. Yeah. What an amazing life. You fly around the world. You, uh, you get to wear incredible clothes Mm -hmm. and you get loads of free shit free shit's awesome free shit (laughs) nobody sends me free shit I want free shit you get free shit and you get the best scripts best choice you work with the best directors the best writers however however you are not at home with your family well I live with an actor and it's really hard and I live with an actor yeah. and he says the same so he's away filming and I'm just going I'm, you're, I'm so you're so lucky yeah. because you get to stay in a hotel and you get to sleep and you don't have to wake up at half past five with your marauding seven year old yeah. upstairs you know you are so lucky but of course he then says yes but I miss I you miss all I miss you all yeah Chris is like this isn't good I I'm in a hotel room all. on my own yes. I'm really but I'm of course sick we, of all of it. that's the fantasy for I me know. So you're, you know, this is the thing. You're nobody's ever, nobody's ever, you know. You always want what the other one's got. But I am a bit of a homebody as well. So actually, the reality of me being a sort of world famous actress and flying around the yeah. world, I would hate it. Yeah, it isn't. I it isn't as great as it sounds. I want to be in my pajamas at, at seven o'clock. You mm. know, watching the telly. That's what I really want. Yeah, eating nice food. Yeah. No, I hear you. On the, on um, Word of You Being an Actress, I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for agree, agreeing to read the part of Ruby ah, on the audiobook. Pleasure. So if you have enjoyed the sound of Clara's <laughs> yeah. voice, it's, it's, yeah, it's Clara and I on the audiobook of um, So Lucky. It was when we were trying to cast the part of Ruby, it was... Um, it was well. Who the hell else could I have asked oh, to do my it? Love. When you, Thank when it was you. So like, and, and I loved it. I loved and, every second of it. And you're perfect. So check the audiobook out if you haven't read the book. And thank you, Clara. My pleasure. What a pleasure. I'm so grateful to Clara for coming on the podcast and being so unbelievably open about her experience. I loved talking to her, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it, despite the fact that it was very sad in places. As this episode drops, Clara is about to star in Leopoldstadt, I think I said that right, a new Tom Stoppard play at the Winman's Theatre in London. Clara is also a designer and her latest collection of dresses called O Pioneers is available online at opioneers.co.uk. I have one, I'm wearing it now and I love it. If you love the sound of Clara's voice, then, as we mentioned in our chat, she is one of the narrators of the audiobook version of my latest book, So Lucky. I'm the other narrator. It's a great audiobook. I think you'll really enjoy it. The book is also out now in print and ebook. Please do make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or on your smart speaker of choice to get each new episode as it drops. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd so appreciate a review on whatever platform you're listening to this because it really helps other people find the podcast. Thanks again to Clara, to producer Emma Corsham, at Rethink Audio, to Fanula, Liz, Kim and all the team at HarperCollins and to you for listening. See you next week. Hold up. 